you know, what is the need of owning a vehicle? Hmm. If I can push that button in that pod or, you know, whatever that might come to my front door and I get into it and it takes me where I want to go without a driver. So the cost is pretty low and it's even lower because it's shared amongst, you know, uh, communities and cities or, or whatever what we may have. Uh, like that's that's where it goes, right? Yeah. This week on Big Feet, the role car sharing has today and its place in bridging us into the future of mobility. To help me out with that, Arik Ohana. My name is Arik Ohana. I'm the CEO of a company called Envoy. Um, What we do is we provide electric car sharing to communities. So we partner with large property owners of uh, apartment complexes, offices, even hotels that put electric vehicles on site that um, can be shared by those community members. So it's exclusive just to that property. Um, So what we do is really provide mobility as an amenity uh, to these communities. I really think what you guys are doing with Envoy is really cool. Um, Because, I mean, I know like Zipcar has been around for a long time, but having it as like an amenity to an apartment or a hotel and making sure like, because you guys are only doing an electric fleet, right? Um, uh, That's right. I, I think... (laughs) Um, it's a really cool unique approach and i think it could really change uh sort of the landscape of transportation which i guess is 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 the goal right yeah i mean we we actually came from commercial real estate um and what we saw was uh the convergence of mobility energy and the built world um and they're gonna have these huge impacts on commercial real estate um, so we, we definitely have some forward-thinking thoughts as to where it goes. But step number one, by providing an amenity, makes it very easy for any community to adopt. And we're seeing really big impacts um, on many different levels within those communities once we place those vehicles, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for most people, uh, it's their first experience with an electric vehicle, uh, which is super important for overall adoption of electric vehicles because uh, there is a connotation of range anxiety and uh you know, one way to get over it is by using the vehicle to go get groceries uh, or, you know, pick up your kids. So Envoy's platform really enables uh, really to see how you could live day to day with electric vehicles. So that's one major impact as well on the sustainability side that we're focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good point. So you, did, you you started in commercial real estate. Do you still consider yourself as a in commercial real estate as well, right? So can you talk about how electric vehicles and commercial real estate, <laughs> how, how do those end up together? How do you go from one to the next? Yeah. Uh, so we were developing a student housing complex. Uh, it was actually in Texas. Um, you know, one of the big issues in developments is uh, cost uh, to, to construct. Um, and those costs have you know been increasing over the years. Um, and building parking is extremely expensive. Uh, you know, in some cities it could cost, you know, 25 all the way up to like $75,000 per parking space to build. Uh, so any reduction on parking, uh, we thought was super important. We were in actually a city in Texas where, you know, uh, cars are very central there, uh, as in many cities. Um, and, you know, their parking count is like one car per bedroom. Um, and we know student housing um, you know, doesn't need that much parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so we approached them with the novel idea of including car sharing within the community. Um, and what they'll do is reduce the amount of people that bring cars, uh, thus not needing as much parking. Uh, 
Um, so that was kind of the initial approach. Um, and, you know, after that, we, we actually reached out to Zipcar, we reached out to ReachNow and a few others, you know, kind of with the lens of a landlord that wants to lease up this building and provide, you know, value add community service. Uh, there was there was definitely a disconnect with what we were trying to accomplish and uh, what they said they could do. Um, so that was the initial kind of like, hey, you know, this is an interesting thing. So when we were actually uh, coming up with this idea and building out the business plan, um, uh, I was driving an electric vehicle at the time. Uh, my co-founder, Ori Sagi, and I used to carpool essentially uh, to our office um, uh, and, you know, it was a big part of, you know, the business model. We actually, it was a Fiat 500E and we actually launched our first properties with Fiat 500Es. Um, so yeah, it, it, that could, that that was automatic from the beginning. We knew that they were going to be electric vehicles within this platform from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is that just, so I mean, that's based on your experience already driving an electric car. Why does an electric car lend itself more to car sharing? Yeah, so the way you should look at it is, well, we should, probably should define the different types of shared mobility. Um, so in, we'll just make it simple on the car sharing side. So car sharing typically has uh, station-based. Uh, so, you know, essentially that zip car, you might use the vehicle and bring it back to the same place. Um, and then there is one-way station-based where you might, you know, take it from one location and drop it off at another location, but both are stations uh, for that car sharing platform. And then there's also floating uh, floating is what you'll see like roaming around the streets and you can really drop them off anywhere around the city. Mm-hmm. Um, that one probably has the largest operational hurdles. Uh, station base um, is what we do um, and it's community-based station base. So it, only community members um, can use that vehicle and it's always being returned to that community after someone's done with it. Mm-hmm. But one of uh, another hurdle on the operation side is how do you fuel these vehicles Typically, they'll have gas cards in them for people to fill up fuel, but the user experience is not great, right? You, like, you have to go fill up fuel. Um, so what we uh, do is we install a dedicated charger at the parking space for the vehicle, and you're instructed to plug in the vehicle before you end the reservation, um, and thus everybody gets a pretty much full charge uh, you know, right when they start their booking, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is, you know, I think on the operational side, that is a... Uh, super important and we can also get into the future of uh, how that interacts with the built environment as well yeah um and i i'm very interested in getting into this future um before we kind of go there i mean so and i i know this this first project that you were doing you said it was in texas i know you're based in la and it seems like you guys have a lot of projects down there as well right um and i mean these are cities that are very i mean most u.s cities there's, there's not a ton uh, where you can really you can get get around without a car, but like I can I know in LA, like I lived down there for a couple of years, and it's you're you're very reliant on a car, um, and so how do we get people to actually adopt these car sharing networks, right? How do we get people to start sharing as opposed to just having their own personal car and commuting every day in it? Well, the big part of it is the education um, and um, actually the shift in consumer, um, you know, needs and behaviors. So we've seen that, you know, now, especially the younger uh, and the millennial, um, you know, generation, they're looking more to have experiences than owning things. Uh, A lot more renters, a lot more plug and play scenarios like we work. And, 
you know, car sharing or like getting rid of vehicles altogether uh, has always been a very difficult thing um, to try to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But now that we have Uber, Lyft, uh, we have other car sharing platforms, we have micromobility, shared, uh, shared micromobility. All those things provide um, an ability not to own a vehicle. Um, but if you really want to convince somebody not to own a vehicle, we th- think there's three pillars, right? It needs to be um, just as affordable or more affordable than owning a vehicle. Uh, it needs to be just as reliable, um, and it needs to be just as convenient as owning a vehicle. I have the keys in my pocket. I walk outside, and I get in my car that's right outside my doorstep. Um, so if we look at mobility right now, uh, you know, if you look at uh, Uber and Lyft, um, they have the convenience. You push a button, and it's at your doorstep. Uh, they have the reliability because you push a button, and it's at your doorstep. Um, and they also... Uh, but they don't have the affordability side. Like you can't replace your car and say it's going to cost me less to use Uber and Lyft and not own a car. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in car sharing, what they have is the reliability, right? Um, they also have the affordability. It's actually cheaper than owning a car in many ways. Uh, but the convenience isn't there. Hmm. Uh, like you know of Zipcar, you know of Reach Now, uh, but for you to find one, you probably have to pull out your phone, look at a map. You might actually take, need to take another piece of mobility to get to that, that vehicle. So that's not very convenient. Mm-hmm. Combined, you know, those two services, yeah, they're not, they're not so bad. They, could, they can meet both those things. And that's why we see uh, less and less people owning cars, especially in dense urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, what we provide um, is really all three pillars, right? Uh, we're more affordable than current car sharing. So we're cheaper in many cases than ReachNow and uh, Zipcar. Um, uh, we're just as reliable and we're super convenient. We're at your doorstep. Like this is a car you know. It's a car that you probably use multiple times a week. Um, so that lends the ability not to own vehicles. And um, that that's somebody, so that's one use case. The other use case is I'm a family of three or a family of four. Uh, I need my big minivan to move everybody around. Mm-hmm. But I don't need to own this second car. I can be a one car family. And I can use a car in my community or other mobility services not to own that second car. So it's about reduction uh, overall. Um, but yeah, there, you know, there will never be probably a world that no one owns a vehicle. Um, and uh, the other piece of where we see it is, um, you know, if you want to provide a service that can span the socioeconomic spectrum from affordable uh, and disadvantaged communities all the way up to luxury, uh, it's probably not a one-size-fits-all business model. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, like public transit, you're typically in most cities, you're going to get mainly a certain you know segment of that population. And same with Zipcar, right? You're getting a certain segment of that population. Uber provides mm-hmm. UberX and Uber Lux and different levels of that to try to differentiate and provide that service. But that's kind of needed if you want to get full adoption. So what we do is we actually match uh, the car type to the community type. So you know we have vehicles at affordable housing and disadvantaged communities and student housing, senior housing, uh, luxury, and even kind of like market rate, both in suburban and urban markets. Um, so you know putting a Volkswagen e-Golf in a disadvantaged community and putting a Tesla Model X in a luxury community, you know that's how we can differentiate and provide. You know the same level, high level service throughout that spectrum, um, and just provide the cost point that that individuals actually need. Makes sense. 
or the luxury that they actually need. Yeah. Um, I, so, I mean, do you think America can get behind this type of transportation? Uh, well, <laughs> do you think we can disconnect from our cars, right? Yeah, I think, well, you're never going to disconnect from mobility, right? Uh, I just think the form of mobility might change over the years, right? So personally owned vehicles is what we know now, and there's a couple different ways to own them. You can lease them, you can finance them. Um, and now we're seeing with car sharing and subscription. So those are different kind of business models to obtain mobility. But, you know, what is the need of owning a vehicle? Hmm. If I can push that button in that pod or, you know, whatever that might come to my front door and I get into it and it takes me where I want to go without a driver. So the cost is pretty low and it's even lower because it's shared amongst, you know, uh, communities and cities or, or whatever what we may have. Uh, like that's that's where it goes, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and so, um yeah, I guess that kind of transitions us a little bit more into the future of, of, of where you see this industry going. And, and, and uh, is that so you're convinced that that's going to be autonomous cars and that's going to be no one or very few people owning private vehicles? Like, what does that future look like? I think they're autonomous cars, but people own personal vehicles also. I mean, the person that buys a Rolls Royce today will more than likely have, you know, their personal autonomous Rolls Royce in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the way we're going to look at uh, moving around cities is um, really we're going to pretty much aggregate all our mobility solutions under one platform. So you're going to say, I'm going to go to from point A to point B. And uh, just like in Google Maps now, you can see different modes and how long it'll take you, but we're going to connect those modes. So, you know, it might be walking, uh, taking an autonomous vehicle to, you know, a, a train station and taking that train uh, across town and then getting off the train station and taking, you know, that, that autonomous pod uh, to, you know, where, where you're going. Um, and that, that could all be under one umbrella uh, with connected services, all different service of providers, but connecting that user experience um, through mobility, I mean, that would lend yourself not to own a vehicle. And, you know, living in LA, you know, just looking at the expo line uh, down the street here in Culver City, that can take you all the way to downtown or all the way to Santa Monica. Um, you know, you can see how that can start making sense if we can pull those types of mobilities together. And there we'll see even more of a reduction um, in vehicles owned. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, somebody that's going from point A to point B, they're going to have that option. They can take that, the public transit or, or you know, what, whatever that might be, or they could take an autonomous vehicle all the way to that destination. And mm -hmm. each one will have a different price point. Um, you know, I, I think that's how we'll, we'll see kind of the future of moving around the city. Yeah. I think bringing public transit into the picture is important as well, right? Because it takes other mobility infrastructure to replace some of the car trips in order to have it in order to allow people to go towards a car sharing uh, uh culture right yeah I, I mean public transit well public transit there is a need for it and especially in many cities and that should never go away yeah. but there's no question that public transit has um struggled with profitability i mean usually there uh, there are costs for a city uh, versus a way to to make money or even break even Mm -hmm. um, so they're always looking for more riders and users. Um, so, and, and I think when you get less and less people owning vehicles and you make, um, you know, public transit more technology oriented, uh, you know, that's where you're going to start seeing, uh, 
riderships go up. And we're starting to see that more and more. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what um, you know the post-COVID era looks like and when it comes to public transit and also shared mobility in general. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Gotcha. And so, okay. So I guess, so the average car sits about unused about 90% of the time from my understanding, right? And so you're providing a car yeah. for that maybe 10% that people need. And ideally people aren't feeling constricted because there's other types of mobility accessible to them as well. Right. It all kind of goes hand in hand to build a network of access. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, if all of our cars are rented, somebody that doesn't own a car is not going to feel abandoned. You know, that day they'll probably take an Uber or figure out some other mode of uh, mobility but that's now available in most most cities, most places we live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, and I, what are some of the cities that you're sort of targeting um, to begin with? Um, most of our cars currently are in Northern California and Southern California. Um, and there's a lot of uh, good reasons for that. Uh, um, we, we also were awarded a grant from the California Energy Commission and did a partnership with Electrify America. Um, and both those programs... Uh, we deployed vehicles in apartment complexes, um, and uh, we committed to having a minimum of 75% or around 75%, I should say, of those pro- uh, those communities had to be within a low-income or disadvantaged community census tract. Um, so we're, we've been super excited about that. We pretty much have fully launched that program, mm-hmm. and in many of those communities, they've been running already for over a year. Um, but So most of our vehicles are currently in the West Coast. What sort of sustainability, or yeah, what sort of impact do you see car sharing has? Um, <laughs> sorry, I cannot talk this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm a little foggy as well. It's one of those days. Um, basically, I'm trying to figure out what the impact car sharing can have on climate change. Right, sort of big picture. Why do we need this? Um, uh, why it's important? And and what impact it's having now and where that's ideally going to go in the future. So in regards to climate change and just pollution from vehicles, uh, you know, like I was saying, I'm sitting in an office alone because, you know, everybody is working remotely due to the coronavirus. Um, And it's it's a very strange time. Uh, But there's a lot of, I don't know, I think there's a lot of silver lining if we kind of reflect on what's going on here. And one of the most impactful ones is just seeing the clear skies over Los Angeles and even in uh, cities in China from everybody staying at home and not driving their vehicles and all of a sudden the sky is clear. So anybody uh, that says that pollution is not an impactful thing on health and environment, um, you know, at this point you can prove it. You got everybody off the road for a couple of weeks and the sky is cleared up. Mm. So car sharing plays an important role in that. Uh, we, uh, for every car share vehicle that's out there studies have shown that that's let, uh, reduces the amount of car ownership by 10 uh, so we're taking 10 vehicles off for every one vehicle that's put into car sharing um, so that is a major reduction yeah, and huge. also uh, car sharing and using electric vehicles I, I think that is probably the most important component of it Hmm. Um, and, and what that does is gives a real opportunity for anybody to make that change to an electric vehicle. Um, so I think the combination of helping reduce the amount of car ownership, but also giving people an avenue of showing them how an electric vehicle can fit in their life and giving them the infrastructure to do so, I think are two 
key components of how car sharing, at least on our business model, can impact uh, climate change. That is amazing. 10 cars off the road for one car sharing, ride sharing car. That is. Yeah, so there, there's studies uh, from a group in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, and most recent reports, I think, is like 10 to 12. Wow. Yeah. And it makes sense. Uh, you quoted that cars uh, um, sit parked 90% of the time. I, I think actually most studies show like 95% of the time. So it's we literally, <laughs> it's, you know, it's even more like you're literally using it's your second highest cost of living, right? First rent or mortgage and then, you know, personal car ownership, your second highest cost of living and you use it only 5% of the time. It's a mm. huge waste. Yeah. It's a huge impact. Yeah. yeah. No, no question about it. And, uh, it, you know, as we become more socially conscious, um, you know, and individuals like you who are measuring their carbon footprints or, uh, you know, do more recycling or whatever, like extra level we can do. As long as we, you know, keep, you know, doing that, I think we'll, we're going to see a much cleaner future. Yeah. Um, last couple questions. Um, I was wondering how the efficiency of a car sharing program uh, compares to a ride sharing program. So what you're doing versus like what Uber's doing. Yeah. Well, currently, uh, they're very different, right? Uh, Uber uh, will bring a car to you with a driver, and that driver will uh, take you somewhere and drop you off. Uh, our service, um, we pretty much, you have a key on your phone, um, and you unlock the car, and you drive yourself where you're going, and then you bring it back and end your reservation when you get back home. Um, so right now, they're completely different uh, services, and the autonomous feature uh, they, they they probably converge, but uh, you know all all mobility does like rental cars, um, Uber, Lyfts, our services, and other car sharing um, all become the same business model once vehicles become autonomous. Hmm. That's a really interesting way to kind of look at because I was considering them two very different approaches to mobility. Um, but yeah, it, it, it makes sense that they would kind of converge. Ideally, uh, we get to that point, right? Um, so what can... Yeah. And, and yeah. then the question is, who owns those vehicles? So mm. in that you know situation, does Uber uh, own their vehicles or does Ford and BMW launch their own programs with only Ford or BMW vehicles that come pick and move people around? Mm -hmm. You know, Do you have a subscription to BMW because you like BMW more and only BMWs come pick you up? Um, you know, I think the business models will be... Um, It'll be interesting to see where those business models go. Mm. You know, we believe if we look at you know the industry that's probably the most poised to uh, profit and uh, find new business channels in mobility, it's commercial real estate owners. Um, you know, they have the parking infrastructure uh, that can you know park and charge these vehicles. Um, they have the tenant base uh, to uh, use these vehicles. Um, so that's kind of the role that we're playing. We, we partner with commercial owners and say, you know, we're going to put these vehicles in your property. Um, people are going to use them. Your tenants are going to use them. We're going to collect this data. Uh, this data is going to enable you to go to the city and ask for a parking reduction or a density bonus for your new next development. Um, but we're also going to find, you know, clear uh, and sustainable business model um, that can enable you guys to, you know, 
uh, create a business business channel from mobility in the infrastructure you already have in place. Yeah. So I guess the ideal setup is for a daily commute, either by bike or public transit. And for those runs where I, 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 I absolutely need a car, some sort of car sharing program, hopefully electric. But, you know, it's interesting. We, we look at it the same way. And we, we put these cars where people live, work, and also hotels where they stay. Um, and, our, yeah, that's the whole idea. In With residential apartment buildings, you know, we provide a messaging and we talk about a car-free living or car-light living. You don't need two cars. You could use one car. Here's Envoy. Or maybe you don't even need to own a car at all. And then we also put these vehicles in office buildings. And for those members... Uh, you know, we are messaging through property management and the ownership. Uh, you know, you don't need to take a single occupancy vehicle to commute to work. You know, get to work using carpool, uh, rideshare, walking, biking, public transit. Uh, but if you have a business meeting or a personal errand or anything you need to do during the day, there's cars available at your office building that you can use uh, during that period of time. Right. Yeah. So that that's very much aligned with how we. Uh, position our business. Gotcha. And I guess that's also a good question. I mean, you have statistics at least about you know where these cars are going and how often they're being used and stuff. Where are most people going with these cars? Are, are they going uh, uh, to work on that odd day? Or, I'm assuming they're not doing daily commutes on them. Uh, is it a grocery store? Like, wh- what are people? What are these mainly being used for? So, 15% of all our bookings right now are daily rentals. So you can book the car for an entire day. So the majority of them are pay-per-use, right? Uh, so you're using it for, you can rent it, uh, you know, for 15 minutes uh, at a minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 15 minutes uh, to a few hours. Um, and in most of those cases, individuals are using them to go get groceries, pick their kids up from school. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, we have, a, we have a running campaign where you can get like a promo code um, if you just say, you know, fill in the blank, I use Envoy for, um, and it's, you know, everything that you, somebody would use a personal car for, mm-hmm. uh, but why this is impactful is in many of these communities, people can't afford a car. They have unreliable transportation and they live in a food desert with no grocery store within a few miles, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no public transit, uh, there's no grocery stores. Um, so, you know, that's where, uh, the service is really impactful, but people use these vehicles for, Anything you would use a personal car for. Gotcha. Including that road trip. Good to know. And um, I guess just real last, last just because I'm kind of curious about it. I mean, do you see these cars, like, are they in use a higher percentage of time than a normal, the normal, like, 90, 95%? Yeah. Yeah? What does that look like then? Yeah, I mean, and that's the goal, right? I mean, if we don't get utilization, I think the industry, the market, like, so Zipcar and other uh, car sharing companies, you know, 20, 25% utilization is what they're aiming for. You know, we've seen up to 45% utilization in some of our buildings. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think we're averaging right now about 15%. Um, but a lot of the properties and a lot of the communities we just launched in the last six months. So there's definitely an adoption period of three or four months uh, to get seasoned. But on average, we're, we're about 15%, but we definitely have a lot of properties that are seeing well over uh, kind of the industry average as well. So that's great. That's really cool. I guess that really goes into the convenience factor and why you guys are kind of targeting that pillar of those three that you identified earlier. 
That's right. I mean, I think like I think it's ninety percent of our users are repeat users, so meaning they've booked mm-hmm. more than once. And yeah, we have you know we have users that have uh, rented the cars over four hundred times in the last year. Um, this you know either becomes kind of like, hey, my car broke down, or it's in the shop, or I have a family member in town. Um, all those are use cases that people might use the car uh, um, not on a regular basis. Uh, but mm-hmm. then you have the people that were using Uber and Lyft or uh, their lease on their car just came up and they're not really sure what they want to get and they just start using it and they just, you know, that this becomes part of their lifestyle. That's phenomenal. <laughs> um, anything else you kind of want to touch on before we go? That's kind of um, super thorough so far, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I, the one thing I would add is kind of how, like, looking towards the future, this convergence of how does electrification of everything and how does mobility and electrification of mobility impact the built world um and we see it as very synergetic mm-hmm. um and we look at electric vehicles as batteries with wheels on them um so they're uh, they have the ability to store energy and they have the ability to store clean energy you put solar in a building and store clean energy but what that vehicle does um, you know, if you wanted to install a stationary ba- battery in a building that was, you know, 93 kilowatts or whatever, um, it's very costly. It's almost as much as a car. Mm. And the service that we're providing provides an offset for the cost of that vehicle or that battery, mm. but it still enables us to look at this battery as an asset for not only the building, but potentially for the grid as well. So a lot of the projects that we're focused on uh, this year um, uh, have to do with either collecting data or doing pilots on uh, vehicle-to-grid or vehicle-to-building technology and installing bi-directional chargers uh, that would enable us to take energy from the battery of a Nissan Leaf and power, you know, a building. And, you know, that's super important. I think, uh, you know, right now in California, we produce more renewable energy than we can actually use. And we either you know, don't use it or it gets shipped off to other states. Um, the issue is we don't have the ability to store it. And if we kind of look at, you know, electric vehicles that could be plugged into the grid where they live in their apartment building or through services like ours, you now can quickly expand your storage capacity uh, for energy. Hmm. And uh, we think that's going to be a huge component of our business model, but of, you know, the general future um, you know, and not too far off. That that'll come before autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's <laughs> that's a lot. A lot of really cool, very different features. Yeah, I mean, they all come to one future, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. a lot of stepping stones to get there for sure. A lot of different stepping stones. One very cool, very sustainable, very green. Hopefully, future. Um, I hope we get there in time. That's the goal. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking today um, and coming on the show. Yeah, Ian, thank you. Thank you for having me. Big Feet is a production of The Impact and produced by me, Ian Sumner. Music is by Saru Pajari. Check out our whole publication along with our other podcasts at readtheimpact.com. We'll be back next week. We'll be back next week.